I better use some Tic Tacs just in case I start kissing her. You know, I'm automatically attracted to beautiful. I just start kissing them. It's like a magnet. I just kiss. I don't even wait. And when you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything. Whatever you want. Grab them by the pussy. <laughs> I can do anything. You're listening to Vegan Feminist Radio. Hello, dear VegFems. This is Dr. Corey Lee Wren. You are listening to Vegan Feminist Radio. Today is November 13th, 2016, and the apocalypse is impending. So today's episode is just going to be me. Um, Due to current events, I thought that it was important to get an episode out uh, sooner rather than later. The consequences uh, of recent events are very serious indeed. So Brian, my regular co-host, is doing some much-needed self-care. After he heard the news, he immediately went home, gathered his family around, and he's, uh, he's taking care of them right now. So hopefully when he comes back, we can get his point of view on this. Um, <laughs> the ever-interesting white male perspective on what it's like to be in this world that uh, privileges white men. Um, Brian always has a nice critical perspective coming from that place of privilege, um, which I think is is all the more important now that we clearly are living in a bubble. Uh, I assume if you're listening to this, uh, the election was a shock to you because um, I think that we kind of gather around our own and put up walls so we don't have to play on words there. So we don't have to uh, deal with a lot of the ignorance and bigotry that comes along with people who who would brazenly support Trump. Well, what happened was that 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 actually bit us in the butt, and uh, Trump won by um, a big surprise. It was it was a big devastation and a big surprise. I was not prepared for it, to be honest. And so this was the thing. Many, many of us were living in a bubble. We assumed that this buffoon, this clown, uh, would never have a chance at becoming a president. And so I guess we let our guard down. There is a very compelling skit uh, starring Dave Chappelle and Chris Rock that was on the most recent Saturday Night Live episode on November 12th. And it kind of recreated what it was like for white people to be watching or white Democrats to be watching the election and how each hour kind of ticked by it began to sink in that, you know what, this country is a lot more racist (laughs) and uh, heterosexist and sexist than we were willing to admit. And Dave Chappelle and Chris Rock's character were just kind of laughing like, uh, yeah, we knew this all along. Maybe now this will be your wake-up call. And if I can find a link to that, I'll share it in the show notes. But that's basically what happened. You know, I actually come from Trump land. I come from those types of people. I come from a small uh, rural Appalachian town on the border of West Virginia in Virginia. And those are the those are my people. But I have been in college or teaching in college for 15 years now. And so it's, I guess I've, even for someone like me who has strong roots to places like that, I've become disconnected. And so many of us are just absolutely 
uh, just shell shocked at what has happened. I wasn't prepared. I actually went out and bought a bottle of a little bottle of vegan champagne <laughs> and I sat it right in the fridge and uh, I said, this is it. When it, when she is announced, I'm going to run out into the street. I have been planning this for years. I was going to run out into the street street and just kiss the ground and yell and hoot and holler. I was just so ready for that. Um, but it, it was not to happen. It was not to pass. So around 1030, when it just was, the votes were still coming in, it was just still very undecisive. I wasn't really sure what to think. It's like, okay, I got to go to sleep. Surely things will clear up. It's just a matter of waiting. And you know, Granny Wren has to get in bed. So I'll just see what happened in the morning. And so it was kind of a letdown. I wanted to wait and get the announcement and then drink my champagne. But I just had, I, I had to work in the morning. So I woke up at six in the morning, turned on the news, and there it said down in the ticker, uh, Trump triumph. And I think my heart stopped. I fumbled for my cell phone to call my mom. It's the first thing I could think of. I had to call my mom. And when I, the, she picked up, she didn't even say hello. I didn't say hello. I immediately started wailing. She immediately started cussing. I guess she woke up at 545, so she'd had about 15 minutes to process it. For me, I was just, that was my visceral reaction, the const, just constant moaning, screaming. I went through ups and downs of despair to rage, and eventually I had to, after about 30 minutes of just screaming and crying, I had to stop because I was afraid that my neighbors might call the police because it sounded like I was getting murdered. I mean, my reaction was that, that intense. I mean, this was a death for the country and people reacted as, as such. And honestly, I cannot remember the last time I felt like this absolute hopelessness, guttedness since my best friend died uh, two years ago. It was that same feeling of just like, what do I do now? I, there's nothing to be done. It can't be fixed. It's done now. There's no going back in time. And I cry because this is, what, this is going to be life and death for many people. It will be life or death. It has been almost a week now since I heard the news and I have, uh, I still, I still am feeling like a physical reaction to it. I've not been able to sleep at night. Uh, it's always on my mind. It's, it's just like after having someone die, it's just that same emotional, physical reaction. Um, and many of my colleagues and uh, students are also feeling the same. I, actually had to cancel my 830 class on that Wednesday morning because I just there's no way I could have been behind been behind a wheel of a car and I really could not have gotten my brain together to teach there was just no way so Friday my students actually some student clubs came together and put together an impromptu kind of protest and it wasn't an anti-Trump protest it was an anti-hate protest because the concern there was this all this these walls we've built between each other these this inability to kind of communicate and, and Democrats, liberals really have kind of lost touch with this seething kind of animosity that's in America right now for, for white people who have this sense of entitlement. Instead of making it, you know, against Trump, that was kind of understanding that, you know, what if you wanted to vote for Trump, whatever your reasons may be, you know, people have legitimate concerns about, um, you know, underemployment and things like that, which to me boggles my mind because, it's people like Donald Trump who have created the inequality in our country. He is the 1%. So when, like, the poor working-class people from where I grew up, and they want to be angry about the situation, the globalization that's been wrecking their jobs and all this other stuff, like, look to Donald Trump. It's people like him that have created this. But when we're looking at Donald Trump, who has zero political experience, who's someone who has been uh, outspoken 
and his utter disregard for paying taxes, his utter disregard for um, hardworking immigrant families, and and it goes on and on, right? I mean, he's not the person who's going to save us. He's the person who got us into this mess in the first place. But we'll see what happens. Um, but anyway, so my students had a protest. I went out with them, and it was a it was an amazing experience. We're a very small college, but still, we had about a hundred students and faculty come out. And lots of LGBT students got up and spoke. Lots of students of color got up and spoke. Lots of women for, from all kinds of sexual orientations and races and ethnicities got up and spoke, immigrant folks. And so there was a large variety of people who um, shared their anxieties and their worries about the meanings and the ramifications of this election. So this is going to be life or death for people. This is not just, well, this stinks, you know, our party didn't win, boo-hoo. This is life or death. This will mean more black people will be shot, black people um, uh, harassed and killed by the police. This will be more violence on Latino people. This will be violence on immigrant people and their families. This will be more violence on gay, lesbian, trans people. This will be more violence on women. Say goodbye to abortion, right? This abortion has already been under attack for several years now. Uh, and and think Donald Trump has made it pretty clear he wants to get rid of that. So and this is life or death for folks. If women don't have access to uh, abortion, they die, right? It's dangerous. It can be fatal. Um, in, in Ireland right now, it's illegal and women die. Uh, so this is, this is life or death, and it's, it needs to be taken seriously. Uh, and this is why I made this episode, because um, I think that we need to take a good hard look at our movement, our animal rights movement, and how... We've basically been harboring this kind of Trumpism in our own movement for many decades now. So I have done research in the history of the animal rights movement. I'm actually working on a book right now on that history, on the Western movement, that is. And I have found that all the way back to the 1970s, and maybe even before, but I was really focusing on that second wave movement from the 1970s on, uh, there has been a, a commitment to aggravating human inequalities in order to try to agitate for the change that we want. So this is exactly what Donald Trump does, right? So he's banking on all these disenfranchised, working class, poor white Americans who think we really want change. Well, this guy's willing to do it by God, whatever means necessary, he's going to do it. He's going to drain the swamp, right? So they think, all right, so that maybe that means we have to harass Muslim Americans and ban them from the country. Maybe that means we have to build a wall to keep out Mexican folks. Maybe that means we have to ban abortion. Maybe that means we have to roll back the clock on gay progress in our country. Whatever. Who cares? Because this is about getting the change that we want. Well, the same thing is happening in the animal rights movement. So we have historically banked on violence against women, banked on violence against uh immigrants, violence against people of color, violence against non-Westerners, violence against disabled people, violence against fat people, name it, we've done it. And the argument is that we need to make this change happen by any means necessary. We don't have time to sit around and worry about your PC culture. We want to make change and we will step over anybody that we have to to do it. And that is what I call Trump veganism. And I've been advocating for this for some years now. And I've experienced the same kind of ignorant pushback that I see Trump supporters using when people of color say, you know, this, this is going to impact my quality of life or even my lifespan. 
So when we had our protest on campus, I had students who were up there, even when I was up talking, they were doing it. They were white men who were driving by in their pickup trucks and disrupting and honking and yelling and saying all kinds of stuff. They want their change and they don't care who it's going to step on and who they step on in order to get it. And that's what the animal rights movement has really been um, aspiring to. It's the same kind of rhetoric of, well, if you don't like it, get out. That happened to me several times. If I see an organization that has been promoting violence against women and I say this is not acceptable, they say, if you don't like it, go somewhere else. Well, that's the same kind of crap that Trump supporters say. You know, and if you criticize this, if you criticize our slash and burn, burn all bridges kind of approach to changing the world, well, you must not like animals. Or maybe if you're a Trump supporter, you say, well, you just don't love America, right? It's this very simplistic thinking, and it's polarizing on, on purpose. You're either with us or against us, and God help you if you're against us. So today in this episode, uh, I just wanted to discuss that. I've actually written an essay about Trump veganism, which I'll put in the show notes um, and uh, should record that. I'll record that and make a podcast out of it as well. So you can, if you don't like to read, you can listen to it. If we have many, many movements, or sorry, many, many organizations who think it's acceptable to recreate the assault of women, uh, even the Vegan Society a couple of weeks ago ran a story on Vegan Sidekick, which has drawn the gruesome rape and assault of women as a comic ha 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 to teach us about veganism and if you criticize the vegan sidekick well hold to, hold on to your seatbelt. i don't i don't want to say hold on to your horses uh because the the pushback's going to be extreme it's it's the same kind of ignorant uh, inability to think critically i don't care who i hurt as long as i get my way kind of mentality that trump veganism Um, So if we have all these organizations that are supporting violence against women in one way or another, be it PETA with their sexual objectification, that's often um, shows images of women being hurt or killed or maimed in some way, and it's made sexy. Uh, We have Lush Cosmetics that's doing the same thing. There was a, a one, one incident where they had for 10 hours, a woman who had, who was beaten, shaved, uh, poked with needles, uh, dragged, Uh, had stuff poured into her face, had her mouth gagged, and it was all to teach us about vivisection, right? And then Lush supported that and said, well, this is what women deserve for buying animal-tested products, right? So this is the same kind of Trump nonsense. Like, well, I don't care if it hurts women. We need to make change. And if you have a problem with it, go somewhere else, or you don't love animals, right? And it's this is just not acceptable. So the point of today's episode is to get you to think about if you have a problem with the country as it is like run by Trump and supported by the millions of people who voted for Trump, you may not be able to do much to change that now. The election has happened. Uh, definitely get out and protest if you can. Definitely educate your friends and family, sure. But you do have a lot more control over your social movement. It's a much smaller kind of community, right? So if you see this stuff, speak out about it. Because if we can't stop it in America, at least let's stop it in our own damn social movement, right?
Something else to consider is that I have not really seen. Now, I kind of am not tapped into the animal rights movement like I used to be just for my own mental health. But I've not really seen anybody speaking out about Donald Trump. I think that is evidence for failed intersectionality. And it's a missed opportunity. So because this is the reality of it. If you don't think that there's a problem with Donald Trump being president, when he can walk around and and mock sexually harassing and assaulting women, when he can mock disabled people, when he can brag about how he's going to bring more, quote unquote, law and order into urban spaces, uh, a.k.a. black neighborhoods. Like, if you don't think that's a problem, like, you need to go back and do some more research because this is not going to create a society where animal rights will ever be achieved. We have a moral and ethical duty to speak out about the violence and bigotry that Donald Trump promotes. And so every organization, every activist community, every activist elite or leader that remains silent on this issue is practicing moral corruption, is practicing intersectional failure. And you should bring this to their attention and make this dialogue happen because we cannot live in a bubble. Living in a bubble is how Donald Trump got elected. And if we remain in bubbles in our animal rights movement, bigotry will prevail and animals will continue to suffer. You know, and she used to be very, she's still I moved on her actually. You know, she was down in Palm Beach. I moved on her and I failed. I'll admit it. Whoa. I did try and fuck her. She was married. <laughs> huge news there. No, Nancy. Yeah. No, this was. And I moved on her very heavily. In fact, I took her out furniture shopping. She wanted to get some furniture. I said, I'll show you where they have some nice furniture. <laughs> I took her out furniture. I moved on her like a bitch. But I couldn't get there. And she was married. And all of a sudden, I see her. She's now got the big phony tits and everything. She's totally changed her look. She's your girl's hot as shit. In the purple. Whoa! Whoa! Yes! Yes, the Donald is good! Whoa! Oh, my man! Wait, wait, you gotta look at me when you get out of here like that. So that's really all I wanted to focus on on today's episode was to get us to think about those important parallels between Trumpism and veganism. We cannot aggravate human inequality in order to hastily uh, try to force change. We have to acknowledge diversity. We have to work with groups. We have to acknowledge shared intersectional oppressions instead of kind of playing oppression Olympics. My oppression matters more than yours. Uh, I will step on you to get where I need to be. That's not acceptable. It's not acceptable for Donald Trump's campaign, and it is not acceptable for the animal rights movement either. So also from Donald Trump's campaign, we are learning that um, sexism is alive and well. So I haven't mentioned that thus far. Um, But absolutely, sexism has played into this election. And it's something that I experience outside of the movement, but within the movement as well. So to give you an example, so uh, I had a lot, I have a lot of white men who work in my office and they've said some super unhelpful stuff. I mean, 
it became office gossip how upset I was <laughs> over this election. Um, and one person, one white man came in and said, just turn the news off. Like, okay, thanks. Easier for you to say. Another white guy came in and said, you know, uh, it's just a shame, but that's how it goes. It's just time to move on. Like, don't tell me that nonsense, right? But before all of this, one guy came in my office and said, you know, what is all this junk about uh, sexism and hurting Hillary's campaign. I mean, that's just, they're just saying that right. The thing is, because I'm a gender professor, I think that a lot of men like to come into my office and ask provocative questions, looking for me to just give them the okay, the green light, to, to think they're, what is really sexist opinion? Uh, but I said, no, I'm pretty sure, <laughs> pretty sure sexism has a little bit to do with this, right? But the same thing has had happened in the animal rights movement. That's really the reason why I founded the Vegan Feminist Network, is because I was getting a lot of resistance when I was learning this theory and starting applying it to veganism. I was getting a lot of resistance from men and also some women uh, who were like, sexism has nothing to do with it. I'm still getting, uh, I still get this stuff from people, from men who claim to be feminists. Oh, there's no such thing as sexism in my country, or there's no such thing as sexism in the movement. Look at how many women are involved. You know, I got the same kind of thing in a faculty meeting a couple of weeks ago. Like, why do we need more diversity in our curriculum when we have so many women in our classrooms? You know, this kind of surface level thinking. Uh, but let this be a lesson that we do have some serious work to do as far as acknowledging um, gender inequality and how that does impact our ideologies and our behaviors and most importantly, our structure. Uh, and the other thing we should consider from this, and I haven't mentioned this at all, but for animal rights activists, this is also something to pay attention to, is we now have a president-elect who thinks that climate change is a hoax invented by the Chinese. <laughs> So this is going to complicate significantly how we agitate for uh, veganism, at least from a environmental ethic perspective. Uh, I still think that we should come at veganism as a political position for non-human animals, but that is it's inherently going to be tied to the environment. So this is going to always be impacting our ability to resonate with our audience. So if we have a president who is clinging to this falsehood that climate change isn't real, what is that going to mean for us? How is this going to impact how we are able to advocate? And I think if it's, maybe if it's any consolation, as I'm recording this, there have been protests in the street, um, not just my little protests at my university, but New York, New York City, nearby New York, 25,000 people were in the streets last night and the police were on TV today. Oh, you just all need to go home. You're not going to keep him from being president. Well, you know what? We have to consent to be ruled. America did not consent to be ruled by this man. Most of us said, we want Hillary Clinton to be our president. We don't want this jerk to be our president. But because of this arcane electoral college stuff that really comes out, for those who, who are not American and don't know the history of the electoral college, it was put into place by our quote-unquote founding fathers because of a deep distrust in people who they presumed to be ignorant um, and being able to, to choose a competent leader. So we don't really truly live in a democracy in that respect. We actually have forfeited our power to electorates who vote however the hell they vote. Um, but we don't live, we're not living in a, in a dictatorship. We still do live in a democracy and we are still saying that we, we are not consenting to be ruled by this man and we are hitting the streets. And it's a very, very, um, I think the most consoling thing that I've seen thus far. And if this is any indication of what's to come, and I definitely recommend you check out the work of Michael Moore. He's been 
saying some really profound um, things about this election and the aftermath. If this is any kind of uh, indication of what's to come, I think that vegans should, on one hand, be worried. Be worried because this same kind of hate rhetoric that Donald Trump has risen to power on has been corrupting our movement for decades. But also take heart because we're seeing a groundswell of activism. And now is the time for us to start building bridges, reaching out to others, empathizing instead of shaming, shocking, or scaring people from minority groups in order to make them force them to go vegan that's not going to work instead we need to show sympathy and support build those bridges support intersectionality instead of rejecting it and see what we can do so i'm going to leave you with some parting words from uh feminist leader gloria steinem who is a great inspiration to me and she has um an, an interview that i'll put in the show notes from a It was on public radio. I don't think it was NPR. But she has been active in these areas since the 60s. And the wisdom that she has being a woman in her 80s to kind of give me that perspective that I don't have because I'm only in my 30s. And I can't remember when the Clintons were elected. I was a kid. When George Bush was first elected, I was in high school. And when you're in high school, you don't really think of, well, maybe someday, but I didn't. I didn't really care about politics. I didn't really understand it. Uh, when Obama was made president, it was a beautiful moment, a beautiful experience. And when he was reelected, I mean, I can still remember that I can still go back and feel that feeling of when he was elected. Um, and But when he, Donald Trump was elected, I mean, I don't think I've ever had um, any kind of current event hit me like that. Yes, we've had lots of tragedies, and that hits me. I, li- I lived through the Virginia Tech massacre. I was a student there, and these these are all hurtful, of course. But with Donald Trump, it's so wide encompassing of so many issues, of so many injustices, all balled up into one. It has just devastated me. But listening to Gloria Steinem's words and giving me that perspective, it's giving me some hope. So just to to leave on a positive note, check out Gloria Steinem's interview, check out Michael Moore, and revisit your activism, revisit your communities, and see how you can learn from this horrible incident. And if you're in a position to do so, become a leader, um, challenge bigotry. Look out for one another. And if you're not, if you need time to grieve, if you don't feel like organizing, if you don't feel like that this is on you, you know, especially for people of color, the gay, lesbian, trans community and others, I don't, I, I re- reject when people say, just don't get mad, organize. You know, pe- we've been organizing, right? So we need to do what we need to do to practice self-care um, and do what we can to resist. You know, much love to everyone. And let's, let's see what, what happens in the future, okay? This is a vote against the future, and the future is going to happen anyway. They can slow change, and they can make it much more painful, but it's, it's inexorable. I mean, we, we, are, we are going to change.